This is your strange and beautiful life. Hi, everybody, and welcome to This is Your Strange and Beautiful Life. My name is Erica J. Schmidt, and on my podcast, I talk to people who may or may not have had the chance to transform their lives into spectacular TED Talks. So you are listening to part two of my fabulous interview with Paul de Touré, uh, who is transforming his life into an imminent and no doubt spectacular fringe show. Uh, You're going to hear all about Paul and his life and work. And so if you haven't listened to part one of this episode, go back. Uh, The episodes kind of stand on their own, but it'll be more fun. You'll get to know us better if you start at the beginning. And if you did listen to part one, well, thank you so much. Uh, And you will know you are probably at the edge of your seats because we left off with a listener question cliffhanger. So our darling friend attached is in a conundrum that we've all been in unless I don't know you're somehow very blessed well she is in a a stagnant unsatisfying never-ending relationship with her boyfriend who she calls old man dad omd so she needs she needs some advice and Does Paul ever give her advice? It is zero bullshit advice. A very bold plan. And I loved it. That was very fun. Um, I will add my own bonus thoughts on the stagnant relationship situation and old man dad at the end of the episode. So you can stay tuned for that. Meanwhile, after our listener question, we get into the nitty gritty of Paul's routines, his writing routines, creative routines, cleaning routines. So I have to tell you, I forgot to say in the last episode, but the truth is the real reason why I decided that Paul absolutely had to be on my podcast was when I first met Paul, I discovered that... Paul has Paul has a steam cleaner like not just for your clothes for your whole house it like magically cleans everything like your walls your your shower tiles your sinks your floors everything it sounds just like Paul has arrived and so I'm really happy for Paul and I just I knew we needed to discuss these things further But this episode is not only for cleaning nerds, it's for everyone. I really hope you enjoy it. I had a total blast. So thank you, Paul. Thank you for listening. And I'm going to play you out and then I'm going to see you on the other side. Okay, ready? Dear Erica and Paul, I am about to enter my 36 to 40 age bracket. I spent my 31 to 35 age bracket with a boyfriend I'll call Old Man Dad, OMD, (laughs) 
I tend to refer to my partners as old men or dads because I seem to need supervision and reassurance through standard adult tasks. I can relate to this. Um, Me and OMD have always had great chemistry, but there have been red flags from the start. He has a complicated relationship with his volatile ex who is controlling and financially manipulative. She calls all the shots in terms of custody, so my, my boyfriend is almost never available on evenings and weekends. There's a ton of unspeakable drama. OMD also has chronic financial distress. Whenever I express concern or frustration that we don't get to spend much quality time together, he bites my head off. He tends to put me down for being too needy and demanding, and he criticizes me for having slept with other people before we got together. I mean, this is standard. And during breaks in our relationship. When I try to stick up for myself, he says I am too sensitive. We have probably broken up 49 times in the last four years, but I'm never able to call it quits for good. I love him and believe he's a good person, but I don't want to spend my 36 to 40 age bracket in a relationship that will never meet my needs. What should I do? Love attached. That's a doozy. Poor attached. Okay. Well, dear attached, I'm probably not qualified to give you advice, but I'll do my best. First of all, I want to congratulate you for asking the question and naming the problems you're facing and explicitly wanting a better life for yourself. Yeah. That's, that might not seem like a big deal, but many, many people never even get that far. I, I'm assuming you're a woman. Most of your letter is actually about your boyfriend. I only know a couple of good things about him, namely that you have good chemistry and you believe he's a good person. I don't. I know a few things about this woman. Okay. She's, she's splendid. Okay, well, everything else about this is... A festival of red flags. Right. Um, In fact, I went through your letter and I highlighted in red. Oh my goodness. Every bad thing about the dude that you said. Yeah. And then I highlighted in green every good thing that you said about yourself or the relationship. And I've got over it. And I was pretty, I was pretty lax here. Yeah. And what I found is that in, in, in this short letter, there are like a dozen instances of things he does that are problematic or bad or just poor treatment of attached and when i see attached try to do basic things like stick up for myself express concern that we don't get to spend much time together it's a hundred percent negation like i don't want to say gaslighting but he's he's you know i think it's definitely gaslighting yeah at the very least so there's a lot of that So I'm seeing a lot of bad boundaries. This dude has terrible boundaries. First of all, he has terrible boundaries with with attached in the sense that he takes zero responsibility for his crappy behavior. You know, he'll act out. He'll be mean. He'll be belittling. He will slut shame her. He will be angry and volatile. Slut shaming is so bad. All of that stuff is him behaving in an execrable way, and it's never his problem. It's never his fault. Mm -hmm. Right? If she even says the basic thing of like, I don't want to be spoken to that way, or I would like X, Y, Z from a normal healthy relationship. He immediately dismisses her concerns and then says more mean things about her. So he has poor boundaries on his own behavior and he has no respect for her own boundaries in so far as her being allowed to set the expectation of being treated with courtesy and respect. Now, in any long-term passionate relationship, People are going to have flare-ups. There's going to be difficult moments. Not everybody's always going to be 100% sweet all the time. 
you know, I know couples that have been together for decades. And if you really get into it with them, they'll tell you about some terrible, terrible moments where one or both of them did terrible things to the other person. Mm -hmm. But there was an acknowledgement that it was a problem and there was a commitment to repair and a commitment to continuing to deepen and improve the relationship. This fucker is doing zero work. And he's also practicing a lot of avoidance of responsibility. The emotional pain he causes attached, it's her problem. His unavailability, it's his weird ex's problem, right? This guy has no personal accountability. accountability. Yeah. Um, And I'll say like, I read the letter a few times. I'm like, what's so great about this guy? I've spotted chemistry. Now, that's a real thing. Attachment. It's like an chemistry, addiction. Chemistry is is a very rare thing. You can meet lots of potential partners and potential lovers who check a bunch of boxes on paper. They're attractive. They're into the same things as you. You've got a great sense of humor. And there's no chemistry. So finding that is a rare thing, but it's not a unique thing. Attached is going to find other people. Oh, and I know because, who, yeah, who have, she's that she can have chemistry person. with, you know. So the, the thing that makes me most angry is the, when I express concern or frustration, it tends to put me down for being too needy and demanding. And then he criticizes me for having slept with other people before we got together and during breaks in our relationship. When I try to stick up for myself, he says I'm too sensitive. This is one of those red flags that is a stepping stone to greater abusive behavior. Mm-hmm right? Where the relationship isn't just toxic, but can end up abusive. I think it is Um, abusive. I mean, from what I know about it a little more than you, but. And I can, I I get it. I can tell from, tell, tell attached from personal experience. It can be really hard to make the decision to be alone. Yeah. You know, especially if you're a social person and you've got a lot of love to give, it can be really, really hard. But speaking for myself, I've been forced to admit and, and confront the fact that I'm not in good working order right now. Like mm. I can be joyful and flirtatious and charming, you know, on a date or even for many, many weeks. And it's genuine. It's genuine. It's sincere. I'm happy to be with this person. We're sharing all kinds of affection and humor and, you know, love and sex, whatever. But if I look at my life over the last year or so, I'm not really able to do that in a way that is... I don't know, long-term respectful to the other person or even to my own needs. So I don't know. I mean, what should I do? Well, the last se- the last sentence is, what should I do? And the sentence before that is, I don't want to spend my 36 to 40 age bracket in a relationship that will never meet my needs. Well, that's what you should do attached. You should not spend your relationship, <laughs> you spend your 36 to 40 in a relationship that will never meet your needs, which this one is clearly the situation. I'd be like, break, yeah, break yeah. up with him, block yeah. all his numbers, take it one week at a time. I think you should go 100% no contact with this person. Oh, and, I love that, Paul. And I think that you should regard it as a short-term project. Like, Just hey, one week at a time. I'm training for a triathlon. It's going to take three months. Well, I've got a training plan. And this week, the training plan is block the numbers and and choose two other fun activities for myself. Go to the movies or whatever. Go to the movies, you know. If, if swiping on dating apps is fun for you, do that. If mm. it makes you feel neurotic, delete them. But it's hard to have a goal which is the negation of something. So if your goal is to not be with this person, it's doable, but it's nicer to have like a positive something thing to focus else. So on. it's like so, when you cut out a food group, you need some kind of replacement cheese. 
Yeah, so I would be like, make it a 90-day challenge. And I say 90 days, but it really should be six months because I think that physiologically, if you You get through two seasons without this person, on a cellular level, your body and brain start to habituate to that person not having input into your life. Think about it like quitting smoking, right? There's the physical detox. A few days are really hard. And then once all the nicotine's out of your system, which might take a few weeks, I don't know the medicine about it, but, but, but at a certain point, you no longer have the physical cravings, but you still have the psychological and the habitual cravings. But, you know, I, I, used, to, I used to smoke cigarettes for quite a few years. Oh, goodness. Um, and, and I got down for the last couple of years to like one or two a day. Mm-hmm. But going to zero and becoming a 100% non-smoker was insanely difficult. And then I did it and I'm done and I'm good. And I remember after about six to nine months, for the first few months actually, you know, I would see a person on the street smoking a cigarette and I'm like, oh, that guy's cool. Right. I wish I could be him. I miss it. And then at some point, something switched and I didn't even notice it switch, but it was like nine months in, I saw somebody smoking and I was like, huh, I haven't even thought about cigarettes in any way, shape or form for I don't know how long. Well, I guess I'm a non-smoker now. I had that, but the ex- it was the opposite thing because I used to, I abused running as a teenager, really uh-huh. abused my body and I stopped because it was like sort of eating disorder related. So I stopped running and every fall I'd see the cross country team and I'd just be like, oh, those fuckers, they get to run. They didn't wreck their knees. They probably did. And then like, you know, a year or two later you see them, you're just like, oh, sort of sucks to be that. <laughs> like running is so shitty and painful. So... <clears throat> But yeah, it is an addiction, but addictions are do take a lot of courage. And I guess I will say also is that every time you quit, they say this, maybe it's like a bogus study, but every time you quit, even when you go back, you're getting closer. I think, I do think that sex is hard because the more you have sex with somebody, the more that glues you to them. And I mean, if it's satisfying sex. Yeah, but even not, or like, like it's just, there's something it's about it. enjoyable. Yeah, as long as it's not like to- totally traumatic, you mm-hmm. like, that's why it's a risk to sleep yeah. with someone because you're just I'll like, also point out that if you live, if we live in, as we do, a super touch averse society in individual apartments where we're all socially isolated, then the physical and emotional affection we get from sex becomes that much more important more valuable because yeah. it's 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 you know it's like if you're always hungry then when you get that rich meal it's that much more delicious mm-hmm. but if you're constantly well fed with healthy nutritious foods and you know the devil shows up with that creme brulee or the whatever it's a little easier to say no one thing i would say is that she should remember that she definitely doesn't need to explain herself or her decision to him at all. There's not going to be a good point. any yeah. constructive conversation or no, discussion with this No, it's just like person. this just doesn't work. Like Dan Savage in his relationship column yeah. talks about this. He goes, the only decision in a relationship that you can make by yourself is the decision to leave. Right. Everything else is supposed to be some kind of discussion. But you don't need to get the other person to agree with you breaking up with them. Just go. And I think that Dan Savage would say in this case, like... Dump the motherfucker already. Dump the mother, DTMFA, dump the motherfucker already. But I get it. Like, it is hard. So, yeah, wishing... the last thing I would say... Oh, yeah, good. And this this relates very much to the the heartache and the sorrow that I'm going through right now, is don't do it alone. Like, get yourself some buddies. Mm -hmm. Um, I have four 
super, four or five super trusted friends. I call them my accountability support circle. Okay. One of them is my sister and her boyfriend, a couple of other super good friends. These are people that I love and trust, whose opinion I trust and respect. So when I find myself sliding into making some bad choices or going backsliding into uh, you know the, the poor emotional place I was in, I reach out to them. Like I contact at least one of them at least once a week mm-hmm. and I tell them what I'm going for, going through and just like you would with a normal friend and then I ask them what they think. And the big difference for me, I used to do this with all my friends, we all do, is that now I do what they tell me to do. Mm. So even are, if I don't want to. Are you comfortable sharing the emotional place? Like is this a person or is this like a... I... Um, I got my heart broken for the first time in my life last, last year. Oh, no. Yeah. I'm the kind of person, I've only been in a few relationships in my life, and I tend to stick in a long-term monogamous relationship for, for way too long. For better or worse. For better or for worse, worse, and usually worse. Right. So I'm in pain for the last few years of the relationship, but when I finally leave... It's a relief. There yeah. is there is no heartbreak. <laughs> I've been, even, I've been even, ground down bit by grieving, bit. Even grieving, right? For so it long. sucked so long. Yeah. That and it a wasn't. lot of people do this. Some some studies say that men do it more. Men emotionally leave a relationship like six months before they actually leave. Okay. You know, I don't think that's necessarily true. I don't think it's that gendered, but there's definitely a kind of person like that. So that has its own cost to exit relationships in that way, in that slow grinding, suffering sort of way. Mm-hmm. But I really believe that. I mean, I just believe that you should give it every shot you can. If you love mm-hmm. this person and they love you, whatever the list of problems you have is, you know, you got to earn that breakup. Right. And one of the reasons to earn it is because when you break up that way, there's none of that get back together, break up again, get back together. Mm-hmm. You're like, no, no, I'm done. Right. Because <laughs> I know deep in my soul and my brain that I tried every single possible conceivable thing I could do to make it work and it's still not working I'm out. Like mm-hmm. I, it's not my fault, right? It's it's nothing else I could do. But this other relationship, more recently, wasn't like that. It was going incredibly well. Oh no! It was going Another incredibly well, and, uh, and, and no, no, I nuked it for apparently no good reason. Like that, you broke up with the person? Yeah. Did you cheat on them? You just no. It just was like whatever reasons I had for doing it at the time. I understand now, having had many months to grieve, having done a bunch of therapy, having uncovered a bunch of things, for instance, in the writing of this solo show, a bunch Mm -hmm. of, because it's an autobiographical show, a a bunch of things came out. And I learned that I am a very thinky person. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm a writer. I'm all about words. I live in my head a lot. And it turns out that the endless word salads that my thinky think brain generates are not always an accurate guide or representation of what's actually happening in my heart. So you like gaslit yourself or something maybe? I was just not able to feel the pains that were driving me to make that decision. Mm. So... Yeah, we'd been seeing each other for about a year and everything was going gloriously. And I'm not really going to mention any details because Mm -hmm. I want to respect this person's privacy. And then I just blew it up. And what's funny is when I blew it up uh, uh, by doing a thing that I knew would end it. Mm. And and, and then she's like, yep, okay, I'm done. You know, and I broke her heart doing it. I straight up broke her heart horribly. I'm sure that she suffered way more than I did. My initial reaction was like, huh, 
can't believe this is happening. I'm kind of surprised. You know, and I was just blank for quite a while. And when I finally woke up and my heart unfurled, I looked down, I'm like, oh my God, my heart is super broken. This is awful. That's terrible. I'm so sorry. I, thank you. Thank you very much. There's been a bunch of learning. It's, it's horribly difficult. It's a lot of my current morning routine is based around, you know, getting myself to a place every day where I can sort of function. And I can see, we talked about the kind of way that improvement happens. I can see I'm, I'm trending upwards. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's, there's, there's plateaus and relapses. I am trending upwards. When I talk about it with any one of the people in my accountability support circle, a lot of them are, you know, my sister is very dear to me now. And she said, Paul, because um, she sees how much more open-hearted I am now about how I can feel all the things I wasn't letting myself feel before. I could always feel the fun things, but I would just, anything that was pain or sorrow or heartbreak, I was like, nope, it's not there. Right. You know, I'm strong. doesn't bother me, which of course is a huge lie. I told myself for many, many years. So she says to me, oh, my sweet brother, I'm so happy you got your heart broken. I'm like, what a bitch. But I know what she means because she's like, I see you now being open and vulnerable and able to feel all the things you couldn't feel. And I know that this is a better stance for you in life. And I know she's right. I know she's right. And I would not, I would not go back to the way I was at all, except the rational part of me is like, I kind of feel like there was an easier way to learn this lesson. Right. (laughs) Well, that's why people avoid breakups even for for many many age brackets because it's so it's so terrible all kinds of friend like all kinds of breakups friendship breakups like uh, partner breakups and so I yeah I feel for attached but it's like you're like and I don't want to date again because it's just going to be so excruciating if and when and often it's when it doesn't work out so I think what happened in this case was I had not properly absorbed or processed, never mind processed, or even recognized the pains I had suffered in some previous relationships that were mm-hmm. very long and intense. And I made the mistake of thinking, well, once I've exited the relationship, the problems are over. No. Not noticing that it's not, it wasn't even that I had scars. I still had open emotional wounds. Yeah. And I think a part of me was running this program unconsciously that, Paul, this is how relationships go. If you get into one, it's going to seem great at the beginning and it always ends here in this dark place of pain. And I say this now and it seems like an obvious psychological conclusion of a person in pain who's not really seeing things clearly. But at the time, everything I just told you just now was completely unconscious. Right. Like I didn't know that's what the quote thinking that my, I call him my asshole autopilot, Mm. (laughs) you know, was driving me because I was in a new situation where none of the problems of some past relationships were likely to present themselves. This was an amazing person who was, wait for it, capable of emotional self-regulation. Oh, come on. Uh, really? Oh, yeah, no, no. They're real, real life human. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. And wait for it, accountable for their own words and actions. <sighs> I know. It's the dream. I'm sorry you had to learn that the hard way. I mean, Thank you, Erica. that's that's tricky. I yeah. I mean, I avoid relationships. I guess as my therapist says, I I avoid viable relationships. But yeah, well, 
courage kudos to you for the revelation thank you for your advice to attached i really hope attached finds her accountability buddies i don't know if she's going to take on such an extreme approach but i would recommend it also and that was great i love that and so we're gonna talk about your fringe show and your routines so your fringe show is called nine lives eight near misses and life lessons from near-death experiences i have the blurb written down let me see what it says a car crash full of kids a knife wielding madman true love toxic masculinity and the perils of both so what happens is swiss indian ninja and frankie oh i can't read Frankie Award winner. The Frankies Frankie, are the, the Fringe Awards. Oh, okay. Frankie Award winner Post-It Paul is a kung fu cat with nine lives. But after decades careening through bizarre, sometimes comical misadventures, he's down to his last life. Okay. Riveting. So <laughs> what is a car crash? Okay. So do you have, you're down to your last life. What are you, what can you tell us? without spoiling the show do you have like what is like can you throw out a near-death experience to get us excited well i mean i was one of the kids in the car crash full of kids oh my goodness when you were like i was 10 okay um oh around the time you got the watch oh yeah the summer before actually okay yeah Uh, and it happened in switzerland okay yeah and and there was a knife wielding madman okay who, who faced me and and told me very calmly that he could kill me wow or that he should kill me and uh, if you want to know how that ends, well, you're just going to have to come see the show. Yeah, well, we're going to um, go and ten times. I would say I was. I'll mention that I'm not talking about the knee, the cliched near death experience where you pass out and you wake up in this dark tunnel you and you go God. towards the yeah. light. It's not that. I mean, and it's not Mission Impossible either. I haven't spent my entire life dodging bullets and 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 outriding tigers and es- escaping from active volcanoes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a collection of 100% true stories that involve either physical danger or emotional peril or some other existential threat. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked about children. So sometimes little kids are deathly afraid of something that an adult understands is not a near death. Right. You know, yeah. th- there's no real danger. But for that five-year-old child, oh, it's real. Yeah. You know, so just like everyone else, my personality as an adult was formed by many of these key events Mm -hmm. and in my case i developed the ability to remain calm very calm and cool and collected to an almost superhuman degree in moments of crazy stress or danger a lot of that was that was a natural thing i had when i was young when i opened the digital watch at christmas and was furious and heartbroken at the same time You'd never know it from seeing my face. Right. I was just like, okay, I'm going to be blank about this now because what are you going to do? Right. There was yeah. fatalism already at that young age. And then when I started training martial arts, like obviously one of the key points of getting good at martial arts and hand-to-hand combat is being able to manage the anger or fear that comes up when someone's trying to punch and kick you. You can't effectively apply your learnings if you're flustered. Mm-hmm. So that just reinforced this tendency towards like stuffing it down a bit. I mean, in the moment, if you're, you know, training for a fight, it's stuffing it down a bit. And that's fine. You can, like, express your emotions after, you know, and your coach tells you what you should do better or not. But overall, it, in my case, it happened to just keep reinforcing this, like, flat line level mm. of any... I wouldn't have thought you know. that you were a flat line. I wouldn't have been, like, flat line Paul. I'm but not I don't on know the joyful side well. of things okay. at all. 
okay. at all. I'm totally an extrovert and I love to laugh and joke and I don't even have trouble crying at sad movies. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to like the difficult, painful moments in my life, there's been largely zero engagement with them. Okay. Like they happen and I label them and I keep going. Hmm. But obviously I don't notice the, the the chains that are around my legs or the arrows that are sticking on my back or the things that are changing mm-hmm. the way I act. And that's what I've recently discovered. And that's what most of this solo show is ultimately about is that I've discovered that this, this ability to stay calm has a hidden dark side. And it's, it's, it's a dark side that I've only recently noticed and that mm-hmm. I can no longer ignore. Huh. That sounds but great. also there's jokes. Okay. No, it's going to be, it's going to be great because the delivery, your story delivery was excellent and that's a big part of it. And you're Thank a great you. writer. So this is going to be, it's going to be wonderful. We're all going to go. I'll put the dates in my show notes if I find out what show notes are. And where to put <laughs> there them. you go. June 2nd to June 18th. Yeah. Playing at the Freestanding Room, which is Corner Sailor on Marianne. So easy to find. It's a small space. It's like 40, 40 mm-hmm. seats or so. So yeah. it'll be nice and intimate. I've done a thing with all of the shows that I've ever produced that people think is crazy, but I'm going to do it again this time which is uh, I offer a money-back guarantee. Wow. that's. I know that's a big deal to leave Netflix on your couch and get all dressed up and spend some money and go travel across the city and go to some venue to see a show that might suck. And I can't give you your time back if it turns out that you didn't like it. Um, Sometimes a piece of entertainment is just not to your taste. Mm -hmm. But I'm 100% serious. If you come and it, it feels like a total waste of your time, you can come find me or my box office person right after the show and say that and I'll refund you your ticket price in cash right away. That's amazing. Oh, I'll say one more thing. Okay. I'm also doing this show partly as a fundraising benefit for a local cause that is dear to my heart. I am donating 10% of the box office proceeds to the Native Women's Shelter of Montreal. That's beautiful. They okay. do great work helping some of the most vulnerable people in our communities. I've been donating just on my own yeah, for a I couple of years. Yeah, I saw that when I stopped um, you on Facebook. <laughs> Instagram, I mean. <laughs> Who knows? And I would urge everyone listening to Google Nakuset. She's the founder of that center. She does amazing work and learn more about the Native Women's Shelter of Montreal. We talk a lot about land acknowledgements and every child matters and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, indigenous reconciliation. But I think it's time, it's way past time to do a lot more than talk. Great. So I'll put that one in the show notes too. And that's very generous. Excellent. So can you describe your creative or your writing routine? Oh, sure. So I always loved to write stories even when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're in grade three and you have to do composition class and you have yeah, to write a story or in whatever. Little exercise books. In those little exercise books. My sister, for instance, would always have trouble with that. And she would, the only thing she could think of doing was to like write down a dream she had. And if she hadn't had a dream that she could remember that day, she was really screwed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love to write stories. And I think it was in grade three, I actually wrote like a continuing story every week. Oh, fun. With like illustrations of some weird sci-fi thing. Mm-hmm. And and it went through my entire notebook and I started another one and it was probably like 120 pages by the time the school year ended. And my teacher, bless her, would like read aloud each chapter to the class. Oh. And that was one of my first tastes of the whole creative process of thinking up a story and then writing it down and then having it responded um maybe grade four i don't know i was pretty pretty young okay but i was i was an omnivorous reader and i was a kind of precocious reader yeah Um, also so and then i studied some creative writing when i was at concordia i had some great teachers 
And I'm not at all precious about my writing process. So mm -hmm. you ask me what's my creative or writing routine? It's three words. Voice to text. Voice to text. What do you mean? You just say it and then you write it down? I say it and I recorded it and there's an app that like writes oh. it down for me and then I clean it up. Now, that's what well, I've that's been doing for a solo show because okay. it makes sense to me that if I'm writing something that I'm going to speak, yeah, I might as well speak it the first time. Another thing I do is, and I've only discovered this in the last four months, is accountability to others. I'm the kind of person who will who is more likely to meet a deadline that someone else imposes on me mm -hmm. than on myself. Yeah. So accountability to others was something that was brought up in the solo show workshop that I did in January with TJ mm -hmm. Daw, who's one of the best solo show performers I've ever seen, and now teaches an amazing class on how to do one. Mm -hmm. And they have a thing called Shut Up and Write. Oh, which is an online thing. Saturday morning. Yeah, it's free okay. and you can just log on. It's two okay. hours. People do a little check-in and then everybody shuts up and writes mm -hmm. on their own. You can mute your camera and just write for like 45 minutes or an hour and a half or whatever. And there's something about knowing that you showed up, even though you're in your house, you showed up to that Zoom call at the same time as like five or 10 or 15 or 20 other people showed up and you're all going to write your own things. And there's something about the energy of knowing that nine other people are going through the same challenge and, and suffering that you are to get this shit down on the page that is so empowering and just makes the process go so much more easily. And at the end of it, if people want to read some of what they wrote, they can. If they don't want to, that's fine too. I've um, introduced this. So I try to do it every Saturday when I can in the mm -hmm. last few months. And I've introduced it to a friend of mine. Uh, she grew up here, but she's in LA now. She's, uh, she's in showbiz. And uh, we just started to do maybe three, four times a week. We'll do an hour like WhatsApp call. And it's a shut up and write. We check in. And That's pretty good. Sometimes we write emails that we have to write. But most of the time we try to write fiction. And she is like several thousand words into her first, you know, young adult fantasy novel, which she never thought she'd write. And the funny thing is she just doesn't write it any other time. But you, I, I don't know. I, I, I belong to groups like this. Do you ever get upset that you can't write well? Like I just, that's what happens. I had this, like I, I joined this two hour thing on Sundays, mm -hmm. but there's three hours actually. And then people were like, oh, I'm so focused or whatever. And I was like, I'm not focused. I like cried quite a few of the times because I just, I don't know if I didn't have a good project or what happened, but I just got very discouraged. So I joke about, I joked about what my writing routine is saying by saying voice to text. Mm -hmm. But I remember reading a write, an interview with a writer who, who was asked about writer's block. This was like a commercially successful yeah. writer. And he's like, I don't believe in writer's block. Lots of people don't believe in it. And lots of people do believe in it. Okay. <laughs> so his way of not believing in it was this. He's like, let me ask you a question. You ever had talker's block? So you think if you just talk, you could just talk and that would be your I don't story. think writer's block is a thing in the sense that you don't physically and mentally lose the ability to move your pencil across a page and make words. Right. I think you emotionally lose the ability to not hate the words as they come out. But that's a very, I just find it very painful to hate what you're writing. I just, I, I think it's, it's a precious, I think I'm being precious. You are being precious. Okay. I'm being okay. precious. But like yeah. there's, there's Francis Ford Coppola, the director who's written some of his own works. He goes, look, the best advice I can give you is crank out that first draft of the screenplay as fast as you fucking can. Mm -hmm. Because I'll tell you something, whether it takes you 10 days or two years, that first draft, oh, it's going to be terrible. Mm. It's going to suck. They all do. There's no way it's going to be good all the way through first time out. But here's the thing. 
Once you got that first draft down, now you can start fixing it. Now your friends can start helping you fix it. Now you're going to revise it, rewrite it, you're going to have new ideas. But you can't do that with a blank page. You need to have a so pile pragmatic. of steaming shit on the table. Uh. So I'll tell you, very few things are as painful as reading the raw transcript of a voice to text that you just dictated. <laughs> you sound like a fucking idiot. <laughs> you know, I say, I'm like this cretin, but it is hard to be precious. And I'll tell you what solved it for me. Probably almost must have been more than 10 or 15 years now. I participated in this free online, I guess, contest called NaNoWriMo. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know National Novel Writing Month. 30, uh, every November, I feel terrible that I'm not doing it. Every November, you have 30 days to write 50,000 words of your novel yeah. or whatever. One time, I actually was in San Francisco visiting my sister when it was going on. And I actually met up with a couple of people from online that mm-hmm. were doing a let's go to a cafe and write together. And, you know, we, we met a few times. We stayed in touch a little bit. One guy was using NaNoWriMo to write the text of a playing card-based role-playing game based on Star Trek that he was trying to, like, mm-hmm. generate. He's like, I'm never going to get it done unless I tell myself, write two cards a day. Here's what NaNoWriMo taught me. Oh, and I want to say what the word count for that is. So that's a, it's, a, it's about a 50,000 words. 50,000 words in 30 days. 30 days. It's 1,750 it's words 1,700 a day. words a day, about. And I tried it for probably two years running and got and, and failed miserably. I got okay. maybe like 8,000 words. I didn't even write every day. Oh, um, that's... And, and I'll, I'll point out that the first year I did it when I only wrote 8,000 words, that was 8,000 more words than I wrote in the other 11 months of the year. Right. So, you know? so it's a win. Not bad. And what NaNoWriMo did for me was to completely free me from the idea that what I write has to be good. Oh, the power's back power's on. Power's back on. That's great. So now the... So you don't care about quality when you're obsessed with quantity. So I would sit down and I would be like, oh God, I got to do 1,700 words today. <laughs> Doesn't matter what they are. 1,700 is the goal. And here's the secret. I would just start typing and it's nonsense. It's all nonsense, but it doesn't matter because you don't publish this novel. You don't even submit it to anyone at NaNoWriMo at National Novel Writing Month. It's entirely a personal project, but you know that there's 120,000 other people around the world doing this project with you at the same time. And somehow that was motivating for me and cranking out the words, cranking out the words, cranking out the words every day. It it really felt like you're just training for a marathon. You got to put in the miles, Hmm. right? And, that was the big secret, is to give myself permission to just focus on quantity. And I'll tell you, I wrote, I, the, I've done it twice successfully. I wrote 50,000 words one November, and then I wrote 50,000 words the next November as well. And I'll tell you right now, 30,000 words of those 50,000 words, unreadable nonsense. 30, okay, so okay. over 50%. Oh, yeah, at least. Okay. But in there, there's 20,000 decent words of a story. And of those 20,000 words... Two, three, five thousand of them, among the best things I've ever written. Okay, but so I that only was worth got it. there late at night when I was going between word fifteen hundred and word seventeen hundred. Mm. Uh, so it it freed me of the of the, and I know I could go back right away. I never did during November. You're too busy to revise during November. Mm-hmm. But I went back. I'm like, oh, this is kind of good. Oh, I could fix this. Oh, this is you know. Mm-hmm. I saw right away the bones of a good story were there. This bit of prose was pretty good. This character is super cool. We're gonna go back and write more about this mm-hmm. character. The quality that came out was only a byproduct of a relentless, obsessive quest for quantity. And 
that taught me that you 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 can't get to the quality without just shoveling out a bunch of the crap that's in you that's no good. Yeah, it's everybody like, says that. It's kind of like warming up for exercise. Yeah, right. Let's say you're you, you're taking a dance class, and once you're limbered up, you're actually pretty graceful, and you can accomplish whatever the style of dance is really well. But you can't do that falling out of bed in the morning, right? There's five, 10 minutes of stretching and warm up and whatever. Well, the stretching and warm up and whatever are boring movements that no one pays to see right. people perform. But they're what makes the beauty possible. And they always have to come before. And if you skip them, it's less beautiful and you injure yourself. Okay. I'm going to tell you one more thing. Okay. There's a website called Write or Die. Oh, good. It's free. There's okay. several versions at this point, write or die to write or die.org. I don't know. Write or die. Some maniac just made it. And it looks like it's just a regular page and there's like a white box, which looks like a word doc. Mm-hmm. And it's got a little timer and a little word counter. And you can set a timer to like, say, make you write for 10 minutes or 30 okay. minutes or whatever. And it just, you know, when the counter goes off, you're done. Mm-hmm. Or like, it'll stop you when you get to 500 words. Okay, you're done. You hit your goal, 500 words. And once you start typing that first letter, the counter starts. And what I found is that I could actually write 500 messily typed words in 15 minutes mm-hmm. or 20 minutes. I'd type fast and badly and I would never correct for spelling. Right. This is how write or die works. You start typing, everything's fine. It's like a regular Word doc. If you stop for more than a few seconds. Oh no, it deletes it, right? No, 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 no. It'll, first it'll start to blare. Oh, no. Then the screen will flash. And then like there'll be a sound of a baby crying. And all you have to do, or a Rick Astley song will play. You'll get Rick rolled. Oh no. Unpleasant, mildly unpleasant things happen. And all you have to do, Erica, to make that stop it's is right. to, you can hit the space bar. Just be like, hi, I'm still going. writing. Still writing, still writing, still writing, still writing. But the fact is, if you type the words, I'm still writing five times in a row, by the time you get to the fifth one, something else is going to want to come out. Mm, optimistic, but maybe. On the most extreme version of write or die, first there's the sounds, then there's the blaring red light. And then it will start to delete what no. you just wrote. You don't pay for this. It's free at least. Of course it's free. That was what got me through NaNoWriMo. Okay. In an average of three or four 15 or 20 minute sessions, I could crank out 1,700 words. And I'll tell you something. The time I achieved it, I hit 25,000 words, halfway mark, on November 25th. <laughs> So, right. <laughs> so 5,000 words a day for the last and then five I, days. And then I wrote 25,000 words in five days. Oh, God. Gotta I think, time I think my, my personal record was like 8,000 words in one day. I was starting early in the morning. I was living on coffee. I was getting up at two in the morning to write more, like late at night, the whole bit. But I'll tell you, Erica, once you've written 8,000 words in one day, you're kind of cured of writer's block. Oh. And there's no professional business writing gig there's no personal creative challenge there's there's no writing exercise where you're like well this is going to be harder than writing eight thousand words in one day right right like i did that everything else is cake Hmm. and it doesn't have to be good because i know i can make it better next time i can fix it i can fix this draft tomorrow don't you find revising easier than writing yeah, Boom, I done. mean, yeah, I guess what I like, I do binge write sometimes. Like, I guess over the Christmas break, I wrote 75, 8,000 words in like five, five or six days. Maybe yeah. I can write fast, but then it's like, I'm either writing or I'm not. Like, I, I just find that I will, I have this project that I took 
very many months off that every time I go back to it, I'm just like, this isn't it. This isn't it. And I just, I, I know I should just finish the draft, but I just, I, I feel like I'm not there yet. But write or die, 500 to 8,000 words a day. Yeah, this is good. It's good. We're going we're gonna to put the resources in the show notes if I figure out what show notes are. Um, <laughs> can you describe, we're almost done. Can you describe your morning routines? Sure. Uh, I've had a pretty consistent morning routine I've had a kind of morning routine for quite a few years, uh, at least since be- the beginning of the pandem- or pandemic or before. But I would say that my morning routine for the last four, four months, since the beginning of 2023, mm-hmm. has been pretty consistent. It's, I'll, just, I'll, I'll label it and then I'll explain it. It's the first five, then a protein smoothie, then 10-minute meditation, then coffee with morning pages, then I do my best to help my son have a good start to his school day. If I don't have him, I will give myself permission to veg out in front of Netflix for like half an hour or an hour. Mm, that's nice. Um, I start with the reward. That's something that I've learned in the last couple of years is, is don't have this weird puritanical Protestant work ethic where you have to work every day before you're allowed to have fun. Maybe start with the fun. Okay, that's good. And, and a little bit of fun at least. So first of all, I wake up in the morning. I try very hard to not look at my phone and... I want the first thing I do when I get out of bed to, there's five exercises I do for like my back and core mm-hmm. that kind of wake up my body. I saw them on Instagram. <laughs> Great. And I, I usually don't get to it first thing in the morning. It'll, okay. I take 15 minutes to kind of wander around and have a glass of water and turn yeah. some lights on. I'm not really awake yet. Then boom, have a smoothie super fast. Then I have a meditation app that just, I keep my daily streak going. I do like two minutes of calm breathing and then 10 minutes of meditation sometimes 15 and then I sit down and I write my morning journal which Mm -hmm. is largely an embodiment check-in because one of the things I realized with this heartache that that I caused myself and caused this other person was that I'm too thinky and I need to be more in tune with my body and how it's feeling Mm -hmm. physically my back hurts my knees sore Mm -hmm. but also emotionally like what is the energy going through my body and this is something I've never done before and writing down the the physical sensations that I'm feeling first thing in the morning often also gets me to, oh, actually I am feeling kind of stressed and anxious and I hadn't noticed. Mm-hmm. Or is that is that a tint of despair? It is, <laughs> you know, um, or, or whatever. And writing it down is helpful because I can always kind of look back a few days and see if there's a pattern. And it always makes me feel better. Just the act of writing it down elevates my mood. Mm-hmm. And it makes me feel more calm and grounded. And I've noticed a few days because of various things that happen early in the morning, I won't get to do all those steps. I'll do the first five exercises and then I have to start doing stuff. Oh, you know what? I'll get to the meditation after. And yeah. I end up doing the meditation and the morning pages like at two in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And when I look back at the time from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m., it was kind of a shit show. Mm. And so do you do like, do you set a timer for the writing or you just do like three pages? I don't do a timer. I don't do three pages. I usually write a page or two and I tend to have, there's affirmations that I write every day. Mm -hmm. I feel silly that I'm wasting quote unquote a page in my journal writing the same thing that I wrote two pages before, but learning to be patient and gentle and tender with myself is super hard. And if I need a daily reminder, I'll take that daily reminder. You know, if the first thing I write at the top of the page is give yourself a hug and I literally wrap my arms around myself and hug myself, then I'll write it and I'll do it. And it works. 
No, it's like it's like studying for a science test. Like I, when I was like in grade seven, I would write down everything I needed to memorize. So you just write that down. Write it down and do it. You know. Okay. Uh, And then write down a few things that I believe about myself, but that I need to believe more. My sister gave me one of them a few months ago. She went to a silent retreat. Mm -hmm. She does all kinds of awesome spiritual stuff to help herself, and it works. And she's very wise. She went to as a silent retreat, and it was a a run by Buddhists. It was a Buddhist organization, Mm -hmm. and she's done a ton of this stuff. Not this particular one, but you know, she's you know meditation retreats, all this stuff. She's done Mm -hmm. a ton of them, and she has a lot of good daily practices. And uh, I remember we were checking in on our little like her and a couple of our friends call after her. So so how was the retreat? And she's like, Oh, Paul. These motherfucking Buddhists. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think Buddhists have ever been called motherfuckers in history, you know? And she was bitching about the way that they were explaining non-attachment. Oh. Right? Uh, which is easy to misunderstand for Westerners. It's a little bit easier if you were raised in a Hindu culture or a Buddhist culture. But she said, I don't like the way they're doing it. And she had a better phrase about non-attachment is about not being attached to the outcome of an event of your or of your actions whether the outcome is good or bad Mm -hmm. if you do it with a whole heart and you're aligned with your soul's values then that should be its own reward and if the world accepts it or shits on it that's kind of not your problem anymore yeah that's a very difficult thing to do but she said that instead of non-attachment she goes with warmly welcoming Okay. So she's so the thing I write to myself in my journal every morning, I go, I warmly welcome whatever today will bring. Oh, that's nice. Um, and I remember a couple of days ago, I was telling her, oh, and this bad thing happened. Like I stubbed my toe or some other shit went wrong. And I'm like, or just it wasn't stubbed my toe, but it was something aggravating in the moment that mm-hmm. it happened that afternoon that it just happened to me. I'm like, I got to tell you, Sunita, it was pretty damn hard to warmly welcome that at the moment. And she's like, you know what you can do, though? You can warmly welcome the realization that you're having trouble warmly welcoming mm. my gosh she's so goddamn smart so committed. yeah I, I she's do those committed. In, in the morning later on like i have other things there's the, there's my first five and then there's the fast five the fast five or five like strength exercises i do later on mm-hmm. it takes like six minutes and if i'm really committed then later in the afternoon there's a bunch of like Stretching, mobility, animal movements, calisthenics. Yeah, I noticed you did animal you know? movements. Um, I used to, I devoted a portion of my life to this, yeah. the baboon. Sure, you got your monkey and your frog and your crab yeah. and all kinds of stuff. It's great stuff. The more I exercise, the better my life is. It's super okay. simple. And I do it in like five, 10 minute increments mm-hmm. in my house mm-hmm. a few times a day. Low equipment. Yeah, very low equipment. So that's that's a morning routine that's been pretty reliable for me. I have to get over like the self-criticism sometimes where I'm like, Paul, you're devoting the first 90 minutes of your day wasted to a bunch of nonsense self-care. You loser. You should be able to just get up and start right away. Three hours over here. (laughs) Right. You know, I'm like, I don't (laughs) even think it should be called self-care. My whole day is a morning routine. (laughs) Dealing with modern, toxic, capitalistic patriarchy. Yeah. Like how to not hate yourself in your life takes four to five hours a day. Yeah. So that's, that's, I would say that's the morning routine. I used my steam cleaner last Friday when my oh guests my were coming over and I did the entire bathroom in 20 minutes. Oh, Sink. So dreamy. Tiles, bathtub, floor, toilet, in and out. Everything was gleaming, shiny, white. It took like six drops of detergent soap. 
mm. and like an extra rag after because sometimes if it's quite dirty the steam immediately like loosens it and then it's like those it's like those swiffer commercials where you just see the tv they're like and it's impeccable so it's like loosen it all up swipe done and so that's your your cleaning routine involves a steamer do you mm. have a certain day you clean or you clean as needed like i clean very rarely as needed Re- your, your home is imme- impeccably clean it's amazing it's, i devote my life to it i would hope that it's joyful and not obsessive mm, a bit of both turns yeah. out okay yeah. great <laughs> um i have a great sweeping routine okay so i have a great old school like straw broom with oh, the wooden yeah, handle. Oh yeah, remember you saying that? Because I got so tired like of like a witch's like, broom. Yeah, totally. The Dollarama brooms disintegrating. Never mind the Dollarama. I went to the hardware store and spent twenty five dollars on the last broom I'll ever use, or maybe it'll last me ten years. Oh. I don't know. I've had it for like four years now, and I make a point of doing a fast sweep of one room each day. I have a tiny place, mm-hmm. so that means that like the whole place gets done quickly in Every two minutes a day. Days, yeah, once or twice a week. And then I don't mop anymore. Like if I've swept a room, like my secret for sweeping is do it fast, but twice in a row. Okay. Right. Because when you get too niggly in the corners, it's hard and it then becomes annoying. Then you're like lifting up furniture and nonsense. Mm. So I just blast through it once. You get 80% of the dirt. Okay. You can blast through it again right away and there's still a bunch of dirt. Yeah. But like And so no 20%. vacuum? You don't have a vacuum? Oh, I have a small room? shark vacuum oh, yeah. for like some rugs and getting into baseboards and stuff. I have a squeegee for windows and mirrors, mm-hmm. but there's also a squeegee attachment on the steam cleaner. Mm, you can do this, the steam cleaner. It's like a, it looks like a vacuum cleaner. It's not like a handheld unit, Yeah. but like windows, walls, floors, your oven, your toaster oven, sinks. I steam cleaned a new mattress I got. Just oh, that's case, a good idea know. and new new energy for the mattress. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it was new to me. It wasn't new. So I'm like, okay. you know, it had been in a garage for a couple of years. So I'm pretty sure there's no like, yeah, yeah. you know, But yeah, bugs, you have but. to like, Karen Kingston says, new relationship, new mattress. And she recommends beating it with a baseball bat. But I never did that. But I think the steamer is a good, a close second. I, I've beaten some small area rugs just hang them over the balcony and beat them with a broom. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is shocking the amount of dust oh, that builds rugs up in are rugs. Oh, fairly frightening. They're frightening, yeah. but they keep your house warm. So, okay, so you're not neurotic about cleaning. I kind of got the sense that you were, because I saw on Instagram. When you were stalking me. When I was stalking you. I'm very flattered. For hours. But your child was cleaning the pull-up bar. Uh-huh. You have these rings that hang from the bar. It's yeah. very good for you to hang. I don't do it, but maybe when I turn 40. And he was doing the moldings above above the, the pull-up bar. And I was just astounded. I thought, that's, that's, that's parenting. <laughs> I try to encourage any of those impulses he has. And then, and this is probably maybe even more important, I try not to police how he's doing it Mm -hmm. because it's more important for him to want to do it and then do it and have a good feeling about doing it than it is for me to get in there and correct him on the first try. Micromanage. No. So that came out of, uh, we were doing a hanging challenge, Mm -hmm. hanging from with your arms straight from a bar or rings is one of the most healthy things that people could do that they never do. Yeah. We never do So I set up this big, thick pull up bar in my house and there's rings and he's mostly swings off the rings and climbs mm-hmm. on them like a jungle jungle gym. But he's been hanging off a bar like that since he was like two or three years old. Like the kid can do pull-ups. Mm-hmm. And we were doing a hanging challenge because 
pound for pound, kids are much stronger and more agile than most grown-ups, yeah. especially on something like a hanging challenge. So we've been doing that over the years. Like we just see how long we can hang off the bar and he can hang more than a minute, no problem. Even though for his little hand, that thick bar is actually kind of hard to grab. Yeah, the grip is, that's part of compared hanging to me. is learning. And he's got calluses on his palms that he's yeah. proud of. But this one time it wasn't working. He's like, oh, the bar's too slippery. And like, I don't know, maybe if I had had moisturizer on my hands previously mm-hmm. and then I hung on the bar, the bar was a bit oily. Right. So then he was motivated to get out the stepladder and wash the bar before we do the hanging challenge. And I'm like, I'm taking a video. This is precious. Yeah. I didn't even notice until you mentioned just now that he had done the the kind of wooden moldings that are next to the pull-up bar. Yeah, um, no, it's a sweet moment. That's great. And hanging, family who hangs together, right? Good for the family. I think so. Yeah, that's great. I think we're almost done. So we, we had a lot of things to say. Oh, well, I mean, I just like to talk about laundry and how you feel about laundry and changing your sheets. I will tell you that I was probably in my late 30s before someone showed me how to fold fitted sheets. Okay, now you know how to do that. There are multiple methods, Mm -hmm. but I have one. And then it was only last year that I decided that it doesn't matter at all. How to fold it. For me with the- For fitted sheets, fuck them. It doesn't, for me it's not, no, I wrote like a, a, a long essay about cleaning and one of the questions is, do I need to learn how to fold a fitted sheet? You just need to make it so it's better than a big mess. Like, a, like a better than a bundle. Yeah. It's just like a step above. There's yeah. no, it doesn't no, need to be it, Because it is not a piece of textile that looks or feels elegant, no matter how geniusly no. it's folded. Yeah. Folding a towel or a flat sheet, I find intensely satisfying. Mm-hmm. I do that thing. So I read Marie Kondo's book, The Life-Changing yeah, Magic of Tidying of, Up. Yes, of Well, course. I read it. I listened to the audiobook. Okay. And it's a very, it's a brilliant system. It's very sophisticated. There was one thing that she said in it where she's like, you should uh, fold your t-shirts a certain way and stack them upright. vertically. Yeah, upright I do that. Do you do that? Your thing. I read that and I'm like, that is fucking insane. That is the most obsessive nonsense ever. That is ridiculous. I spent half a day of my life figuring out how to do that. And I will tell you that is the only thing from her book that I consistently apply to this day. Mm. And it's genius. Vertical t-shirts, people. I'm here to tell you. It'll change your life. I like that. I also fold my underwear in the shape of a rose. I do the mostly the folding. Depends on how my Mm -hmm. cupboard's organized. Well, that's that's very exciting. I will say that when it comes to cleaning routines, I again, I come back to being gentle with myself because it's very easy for me to like get on that self-hating, self-critical loop of Paul, you're a loser, you're a fuck up, you, this, this mm. is all dirty and messy and you should have done this a long time before. But it took me decades of doing that to realize that that doesn't actually motivate me to do better. I've just dumped a bunch of negative energy on myself and a bunch mm. of self-hatred. But being gentle with myself does help. The other thing that occurred to me recently was I looked around my undecorated, messy, barely unpacked, full of random stuff I should throw away or donate apartment and after two and a half years here, and I'm the only adult here, it looks the way it does because it's me, right? If it looks like this, it's because I have chosen to have it look like to, to have it look like this. Passively, sure, mm-hmm. it's a passive choice, but it was my choice. And I can make a different choice. I can choose to believe that I deserve to live in a tidy, cozy, welcoming home. And then I can choose little behaviors each day that move in that direction. And that's what I do now. And I put zero pressure on myself 
for getting it done at a certain time or getting a certain amount of work done in a certain interval. I hang like, one picture on the wall, it's a win. Take the rest of the day off. Of, it's like forward, forward motion. Kaizen. So Kaizen is a great Japanese concept that comes from Toyota or something, but it's, it's a business concept. But essentially what it means is constant incremental improvement like millimetrical improvement. So here in the West, we're focused on the big wins. Like, you yeah, know, like, like 10,000 followers on Instagram. Yeah. And also like a life-changing invention. We're going from shitty cell phone to the iPhone, you know? And in Japan, they're like, well, how about we just keep doing what we're doing, but see if we can't make it half a percentage better every day or two. And it turns out that cumulatively, the result is you kick ass. And you become world-class. And you never had to have a giant breakthrough discovery. You could just apply perseverance and good judgment and effort a little bit at a time. Mm. And then suddenly you're making the most reliable cars in the world. Or the best cameras. Or whatever else it is that the Japanese do so brilliantly well. Because they decided it's okay to be humble. It's okay to get a little bit done every day. That's great. I mean, I definitely did an overhaul with cleaning because I was like very messy and then I got back from my second trip to India and like you always have a revelation when you go to India the mm -hmm. first one was I had to quit my life I needed to break up with my boyfriend quit yoga qu move back from from Halifax back to Montreal and then the second one was I just couldn't stop cleaning I came home and I was like I had three suitcases that was all my possessions and it was like the only I just wanted to have agency over my surroundings and then yeah I devoted like a month of my life like learning how to clean and I never I never went back I just but I I'm very rigid about it <laughs> it's like I'm just like it's like Wednesdays we clean the bathroom in the kitchen Thursdays we do the rest and it's laundry day it's like it's very rigid and I don't I do get it done but yeah I wouldn't say it's particularly gentle but it's a good it's a good concept what what is the Japanese word again Kaizen. Kaizen. K-A-I-Z-E-N. So incremental improvement. Constant incremental Constant improvement. Constant incremental improvement. That's great. Do you have anything else you want to share with our listeners? We've been talking for about a year. Yeah. It's been fun. The power's gone out. The smoke alarm was chirping. And then we, we, we talked about childhood, parenting. We solved somebody's relationship problems. This mm -hmm. has been very productive. Do you have anything else you want to share with the listeners? Um... Come see my show, Nine Lives, Eight and Your Misses, Life Lessons from Near Death Events, playing at the Montreal Fringe Festival, June 2nd to 18th. If you go to postitpaul.ca, it'll be in the show notes, but... Uh, you have Postit, you have a website also? I have a website. Okay. It's, it's Postit Paul, like Postit, it's all in one word, no hyphens, .ca. That's where all the information will be. Um, there's, I think, I think, world premiere scoop. I think there might be a crowdfunding campaign coming up. Oh, goody. So okay. that would be very helpful and a way for people to like meaningfully get involved Support. with yeah. the show. And I'm sure you'll put in the show notes. Like I'm, I'm Post-It Paul on Instagram and mm -hmm. Paul de Touré on Facebook and postitpaul.ca as a website. Oh, oh, there was one thing. If you could change one thing about the world, oh, what would it yeah. be? Oh, yeah. If you could change one thing about the world, what would it be? I thought about this one and I've got an answer for you. Okay, good. You ready? Yeah. Immediate equality of opportunity and full human rights for women and girls everywhere on earth. Oh, that's perfect. Ooh, and I'd give the land back to the first peoples. Yeah. All the land. 
to all the first peoples? I'm picking two things because it's a magic yeah. wand question. That's great. Okay, that's a great answer. So yeah, people can find Paul on Instagram, postitpaul.ca, postitpaul on Instagram, all his shows. So it runs the weekend, June 2nd, June 9th, June 15th. So Friday to Saturday and for two weekends, Thursday to Sunday for the last weekend. So you have tons of choices. But what's also great is that none of the the, the shows, the latest show is 9 p.m., but most of them are like 6, 5, 7. So it's very reasonable for your bedtime. So, yes, we'll see you at the show. Yeah, it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday evening for three weekends at totally normal times. It's like the show is under an hour. Yeah, so <clears throat> money back guaranteed also. So, yeah, and it's a nice venue too. The freestanding room is nice. So nine lives, eight near misses, life lessons for near-death events. We're all going to be there. And then now we are going to wrap up and we've had the best time and the end of this best time is that we're going to have a little <laughs> sing song. Oh, I forgot about this. <clears throat> yeah, right. and what I really recommend people listening is that you should sing along too. I think that will make it a little better <laughs> and like just more fun. Nothing could make it better but than what it's going to be. This is actually like, you will see me, I will be beaming while this happens. So we are going to sing Country Roads by John Denver, just a little taste because of rights or whatever. And John Denver, thank you for letting us use your song. We love the song. So we're going to sing the chorus and then we're going to sing the bridge and then we're going to sing the chorus. I have my ukulele. Let's hope it's in tune. I think it's fine. Oh, it's it'll it'll it's be more in tune be, than I will be. Oh, we're so 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 just yeah, Google and we're all going to sing along. So um, you, know, you know it. Most of you must know yeah. bits of this song. It's fun. Country road. Oh. Whoops. Oh, okay, that was great. <laughs> okay. I think okay. <laughs> this is so fun. Okay. Country roads take, take me, me home. home. To the place I belong, West Virginia, Mountain Mama, take me home, country roads. Now the bridge. I hear her voice in the morning hours, she calls me. Radio reminds me of my home far away. Driving down the road, I get the feeling that I should have been home yesterday. Yesterday. Country roads, country roads. Take me home to the place I belong. West Virginia, Mountain Mama. Take me home, country roads, West Virginia, Mountain Mama. Take me home, country roads. Goodbye, Montreal. That was the best. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Paul. I just had the best time. And thank you, everyone, for listening to This Is Your Strange and Beautiful Life. And we'll see you on the other side. It was great. It was okay, great. awesome. I'm going to hit stop now. Okay, love you, bye. Hi, 
okay, it's Erica, and we did it. We made a two-part episode. I just had the biggest blast. I, I thought that was so fun. Thank you. That was just great. And thank you for listening to the whole thing. Holy, you did so well. I guess before I wrap up, I did say I wanted to share a few extra thoughts about attached and her sad, stagnant, distressing relationship situation. Yeah, so what I want to say is that from the letter, it is easy to just write off, what's the guy's name, old man dad, to just write him off as this asshole. He probably does match the internet lists and the Instagram rules of like, you know, when to go running, like bad, bad signs. But, you know, he is a person and I think that I can I can hear, I can just anticipate attached saying, but like, but I love him, you know, and and he is a good person, right? He probably had something happen to him that makes him like ill-equipped in relationships, you know, like the marriage and kids that that takes a hit on people, you know, like she doesn't want to demonize him. And sometimes it is easier to demonize people because then you just write them off and you're just like, okay, fuck you. Like you don't exist to me. But I think when you spend, you know, an, an age bracket with people, they they get into your hearts and that's that's tough but you know just because somebody is deep down a good person well first of all like why can't he be a good person on the surface but you know just just because they're not malevolent or you know they're not they're not playing out the internet list on purpose that doesn't mean you need to devote your life to them like that that is not your job I don't know. There's something about how we're programmed. I see this in a lot of my female friends is like you'll see somebody's sort of potential and their wounds and be like, oh, that's so beautiful. You like we could we could build something so beautiful together. But like they might not change. And no matter how wonderful you are, you can't change people. It just it doesn't work. And I think that as like especially women, but I'm sure it goes across the board. Many of us are, our, our default adult setting, which you were talking about before, sets us up to accept really kind of mediocre, underwhelming situations. Like it's like my dear friend Caroline, she just says like, oh yeah, like somebody, some dude can have a, have a hobby. And you're like, oh, what, like what a catch, you know, he has one hobby. He like, talks to his mother on Sundays like he read a book last year and you're like I'm so lucky to be with him and you know I really think that I mean and I and having said this I've been single for like forever but I think that when you're with somebody you should feel like you won the lottery and perhaps just as importantly or more importantly they should feel like they've won the lottery and they should treat you like you're a catch this is awesome And I don't know, maybe that's too idealistic, but I just think that if you grind your way through life with just sort of like half-assed happiness and sort of like, oh, we had a nice time like three and a half Sundays ago and before that it had been like six months, like this is your, this is your strange and beautiful life. And so like you kind of, you need to put the happy moments together and if there aren't any, change, you know, get the hell out. So that is my that those are my afterthoughts about attached I you know big love to you big love to anybody who's in a kind of stagnant and 
analysis paralysis, what do I do? I know what to do, but I don't know what to do situation. You'll get out. You will. You are going to figure this out. So attached, you are going to figure this out. Paul's advice, I mean, it will probably work. So, you know, keep that in mind. And, you know, write us back. Let us know how it went in six months. And so that's all I have to say about attached. Um, Now, what else do I have to say? Okay, so This Is Your Strange and Beautiful Life is an independent podcast. So we don't have any sponsors. If you have a product or service and you'd like us to plug in on the podcast and you want to like sponsor This Is Your Strange and Beautiful Life, I'd be delighted. Like just, you know, no harmful no harmful merch or whatever. Don't want to hurt people's bodies or their feelings. But you know, like what do I like? I like expensive deodorant. I like skincare, hair products. Like I don't know if you have an event, whatever. If you have a podcast, I'd be that would be so fun to help you advertise. And meanwhile, another way you can support the podcast is I made merch. I made dog cards. So they are greeting cards of my favorite dogs comes with an envelope you can send a heartwarming message to your friends and loved ones you can put the like adorable dogs on your fridge they're six bucks each you can find them at erikajschmidt.com slash merch and stay tuned for promo codes yeah so follow and you can follow me on instagram erika.j.schmidt i have my website and you, you can find me on facebook pretty easily So yes, follow me. We've gone through who to follow Paul, right? We got uh, Post-It Paul on Facebook, postitpaul.ca. Check out the show notes for crowdfunding for his show and all the dates. And so yes, go to Paul's show. What else do I have to say? I think I'm ready for my final, final remarks. I would like to thank my guest, Paul. And I would like to thank my sister, Tess Levitt, who helped me refine the inspiration for this podcast. And, you know, she is the best sister in the world. And I would like to thank Sherwin Tija, also known as Joe Catman on Facebook. And Sherwin is the founder of Sherwin's Quirky Events, which you should check out. But he's also my technical and creative advisor and most cherished friend. So thank you, Sherwin. And thank you to... The dearly departed Eileen Gunn, whose generous surprise gift has allowed me to purchase podcast equipment. So thank you, Eileen. Rest in peace. And I think that's it. Okay, ready? We're going to, I'm going to play us out. So everybody sing along. I hope you sang along to Country Roads. I think that's crucial in the full enjoyment of this podcast. So sing along. Here we go. This is your strange and beautiful life thank you so much everybody love you have a wonderful day or reasonable day just do your best and can't wait to see you in the neighborhood okay love you bye